Now, if you've turned on your telly in the last 16 hours or so, you'll have seen a fair amount of pretty ugly scenes uh, from the streets of London yesterday as the debates around statues and the role of statues and what they commemorate and whether they really are commemorating or generally what they're all about has turned a little bit ugly. And here at home, there's been a particular focus on one statue especially, that of John Mitchell in Newry. Now, he was an Irish radical nationalist, but later in life, he became a supporter of the Confederacy in America. He became an advocate for slavery and he's not a very widely known name today, but he was once upon a time among the most famous Irishmen in the world and the debate around him and commemorating him does raise interesting questions in particular for the GAA because there are clubs right across the island and indeed further afield which are named after John Mitchell. So the question then rises, should the name stay or go? And Donald Fallon is with us to discuss. Donald, good afternoon. How are you keeping? Good to be here, Gavin. Um, How are you? It's, it's very prescient that we're talking about this because little could we have known a few weeks ago when we were discussing statues uh, that it wouldn't just be the fibreglass cows that would be back in the <laughs> eyes of, of people around the world, but that there's, it's been such a hot topic now. Yeah, it was like the Nostradamus predictions, wasn't it? How are we to know? <laughs> Several mm. weeks ago, we were talking about poor Luke Kelly and we did talk about the contested nature of, of statues and monuments in, in a broad sense and what, what they mean. Well, I mean, who could have predicted Winston Churchill in a box, riots in London, Edward Colston dumped into a river in Bristol or, you know, Fine Gael councillors calling for the removal of a statue in, in Dublin's Fairview Park. So life comes at you fast, mm. you know, and the, the intersections of the past and the present very, very interesting times here. And we're heading into the week of Bloomsday. You know, it seems fitting to, to quote the great words of Stephen Dedalus said, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awake. At the minute, it feels like history is a minefield that we're trying to get through, doesn't yeah. it? But every society will, you know, from time to time, kind of re-examine itself and its, and its values. But I don't think anything like this has ever happened because it's happening on a, on a, on a global scale, you know, from, you know, King Leopold in Belgium to France and the Algerian question, the United States, Canada, Britain, and to a lesser extent here, you know, to varying degrees, at the same time, all over the world, these questions around the past are coming up. And in Ireland, a lot of it seems to be centred on John Mitchell. Yeah, it's funny, actually, that when you list a lot of the questions there, whether it's France or Britain or Belgium, and then obviously to, to a far lesser extent, the US and Canada, it tends to be imperial powers. And they're all now coming to terms with what that meant for other parts of the world. But of course, in Ireland, it was about overthrowing uh, an imperial mm. power. Uh, and that's what sort of leads us to, to John Mitchell. But th- there is kind of one uniquely Irish form of commemoration, isn't there, in which a lot of the communities take great pride? It's a, it's a brilliant, it's a beautiful form of commemoration in Ireland, and it's one of the principal forms we have. And we do touch on it sometimes on this slot. I mean, recent weeks we talked about, Red, it's been a really mad few weeks for history, Red View O'Donnell. <laughs> and we mentioned that there's a GAA club in, in Killy Gordon, Donegal, yes. and after yeah, Red View yeah. O'Donnell, how it's just, you know, great tribute that a community can bestow on someone. And look, the GAA is the fundamental, it may be the fundamental cornerstone, not a fundamental cornerstone of identity nationally, but equally locally. And that has been proven beyond doubt, you know, at the height of the lockdown where I am and across Dublin and beyond, it was it was the voluntary efforts of GAA clubs up and down the country that, that, that was to the fore of the community response. But mm. for the first time I can ever recall, the naming of a GAA club or multiple GAA clubs, we should say, uh, has been called into question. Yeah, and, and there's one particular piece which emerged on, on the web inside the last week or so, which has sort of brought this whole to light, the question mark about clubs being named after him. Yeah, the, the brilliantly named sports website balls.ie and PJ Brown mm. pointed out that there's at least 10 GAA clubs, both here on the neighbouring island, that bear the name of this man, John Mitchell. And we'll talk about who he is in a minute, but I would say, you know, it's no dig at these clubs. I mean, these are some of the most remarkably successful local clubs at the centre of their communities, including two in Birmingham and Liverpool, 
who really kept the kind of Irish flame alight there. But PJ's piece, it trended on the site and it, it did serious numbers on, on Twitter and social media. I suppose it sparked kind of quite serious and maybe maybe overdue discussion. Yeah, and we have to stress that it's not a slight in any of the clubs themselves because we'll talk in a little while about how, in fact, a lot of people in Ireland just didn't realise what John Mitchell was sympathising with in other corners of the world. But I suppose it is also worth noting that some of the clubs which are named after him here on the island are, are yeah, well the- known and are very successful. <laughs> The brilliant John Mitchells of, of Tralee, you know, founded in the 1950s. They won five consecutive senior football titles in a row, 59 to 63. That's unmatched in the history of the Kerry County Championship. And, you know, if you have a glance over Kerry GAA clubs, and I think if you just take Kerry as an example, but you can basically apply this across the whole island, you have the whole spectrum of Irish nationalism. You know, you have O'Connells, you have Austin Stacks, you have Emmets. So, I mean, that's broadly reflective of, of how it is in the GAA across the island of Ireland. But John Mitchells of Tralee, I mean, they are a, a, senior, a, a, a serious force uh, in, in Kerry football historically. Mm. So, um, John Mitchell himself then, his background is fairly curious and also the story of actually how he ended up in America where he sympathised in some objectionable things is also pretty curious. Yeah, I would say the clubs were kind of named after this guy at a time when the full character of Mitchell was never really understood. I mean, he was he was presented in a very simplistic manner, raised in Newry, historically a brilliant political journalist and a writer. And he was at the forefront of, of what was known as the Young Irelanders, a kind of radical movement who broke with Daniel O'Connell in the 1840s. But the reason he's so famous is that he's, he's a cause celeb. He's basically exiled to Van Diemen's land, but he escapes and makes it to America. So he, he's this kind of incredible heroic story in the 19th century Irish community. There's a place called Mitchell County in Iowa that's actually named after him, which is extraordinary. Wow. Uh, and, you know, he was a name everyone knew, hosted by the, the mayor of New York. His grandson went on to become the mayor of New York City, probably in no small part because of who he was. Mm. In exile, elected to the British House of Commons. The British said the result was invalid because he was a convicted felon. They, they ordered a by-election and he won the by-election as well. <laughs> so he, he embodied this kind of resistance, you know, this radical political journalist. And he utilised the, the famine brilliantly for, for kind of propaganda purposes. He's the man remembered for saying, the almighty sent a potato blight, but Britain created the famine. So he matters, I suppose, in terms of Ireland right after the famine, trying to understand what had happened. And Mitchell was the voice, really, that was rallying against the, the British authorities. Yeah, uh, and I suppose it's the point that he was able to crystallise in people's minds that it wasn't necessarily a food shortage rather than, uh, you know, basically a, a debatably an act of genocide. And, and mm. that, that's kind of really what made him then some someone of a cost celebrity in Ireland. Um, he quickly turns people against him in New York, though, because of his views on race. You see, he's, he's this great Irish separatist, and then he becomes a separatist of a very different kind. He becomes mm. a supporter of the, the kind of rights of the southern states to, to go their own way. And, and defends the institution of slavery. Now, I mean, he could have had a very comfortable, privileged life in New York City or on the eastern coast, somewhere like Boston. We had an enormous Irish community who thought this guy was a hero. But instead, he makes for the South. He founds this newspaper called the Southern Cross, and he becomes really one of the main public faces and one of the main kind of defenders of, of slavery. And, and the reasons he defends it are really odd. I mean, one reason is kind of paternalistic. He argues it's best for slaves, that they're, the black slave has it better than the, the Irish peasant who's just endured uh, starvation. But he was above and beyond even the most ardent kind of Southern Confederates. And a lot of people, Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy, regarded this guy as an extremist when it came to race. So he was too extreme for the Southern Confederates who kind of had to push him aside. Uh, how extreme? Like, are we at the point where even like, even with the mists of time, have they become even more objectionable or were they I mean, even yeah. still wild for the day? Without having an, an Eamon Ryan moment on the radio, I mean, there are endless Mitchell quotes <laughs> that, that you could read and they're all very, very shocking. But the one I find most shocking is actually not the most extreme in terms of language, 
But I think there's something about the manner he uses the word them in this quote that, that's very uh, upsetting and powerful. He says to enslave them is impossible or to set them free either. They are born and bred slaves. So there's a racial superiority thing going on in, in, in the kind of language that, that Mitchell is using. Okay. Um, it has to be said, of course, up to now that, that almost nobody in Ireland knew very much about anything of his controversies in other shores until pretty recently. And that's fundamentally important to this story. I mean, that, that, I mean, we remember people in history for one thing, one moment. Daniel O'Connell is Catholic emancipation. Jim Larkin is the lockout. Collins is the treaty. And I think the generations of Irish people, Mitchell was one thing. He was this, you know, tremendous character who'd escaped from transportation, taunted the British in exile. And he did what many people thought couldn't be, do- couldn't be done. You know, he, he put into words the anger of the country towards the famine. I mean, that's the reason he's so important to the diaspora. That's why there's a GAA club in Liverpool and Birmingham named after him. Mm. And I don't think anyone involved in these clubs in any way should feel any kind of shame because almost no one on the island of Ireland had awareness of this dimension of Mitchell. So these are all fine clubs. But the question is, now that we know this stuff, should they still carry the Mitchell name? That is that is the fundamental question. Uh, well, we'll broach that again in just a second, but I'm just struck by you know the, the timing of all of this, that he was the forefront of the Young Islanders, which which put radicalism back sort of on the agenda in the 1840s. We were only talking on this lot only last week about how at the turn of the century, around the year 1800, that Ireland was actually a slightly more metropolitan place and we were having the likes of Frederick Douglass visiting and how in the forthcoming decades then after that, it's almost seemed like there was a regression where suddenly black people then became mm. this sort of exotic other and maybe it's because he was raised in that time that he didn't have the same sympathy towards people of different races to himself. Mm. So we, we then come with the question of um, GAA clubs which are named after John Mitchell, of course, who have now been you know booted into this controversy over which they had no real prompt at all. Um, what happens now? That's the great question. I think the statue in Yuri will, will probably remain. I'd like to see it kind of contextualised in some way, you know, just given some information on Mitchell as a man and the entire story of Mitchell. But a really good point that was made in the in the article on, on Balsari by, by Brian Hanley, the historian, he said that at the beginning of the 20th century, there were dozens of GAA clubs across the island of Ireland that were named after kind of these Boer generals that were fighting the British in South Africa. You know, young Irish lads were going out playing for teams with names like General Dewet GAA Club. And they don't exist anymore. There's not a single GAA club in Ireland. Well, the names don't exist, the clubs do. Mm. But it's not a single GAA club named after a Boer general from the Boer War anymore in Ireland today. So it has been done. You know, names of, of clubs have been changed and it won't change the, the fabric of what those clubs mean in their communities uh, in any way. Who knows, maybe we'll have a Frederick Douglass J. <laughs> Who knows what will, what will emerge from this. Str- stranger things have happened in, in all seriousness. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that it's Bloomsday uh, this coming Tuesday, June the 16th. Have you got your straw boater hat out ready to I go do, walking? I do, but it won't be the same, you know, and I, I heard someone refer to Bloomsday this year as Zoomsday, so we have to, we have to adjust. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one before now, but that is excellent. Uh, you, you'll be having your, your, your kidneys for breakfast and everything else? <laughs> That's it. The bottle of burgundy will still be in. Still be in. Excellent. At least it's good to know that some things never change, even in lockdown. Uh, Donald, as ever, thanks a million for your time. Really, really fascinating stuff and no doubt something which will probably become as equally prescient as some of your other slots in the last few weeks. Thank you very much. Donald Fallon is a historian. He is the author of the Come Here To Me books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you'll find online. (laughs) 